Do you have questions about the Catholic faith? Are you just listening because you randomly found this podcast? Whatever the reason, we're glad you're listening. From prayer to the Eucharist to exploring the treasures of the Catholic Church, we will talk about the faith in day-to-day life. This is Seeking Sanctus. Alrighty, guys. How you doing? Welcome back to Seeking Sanctus. My name is William Mayberry, and today we have a very special guest with us, Mr. Robert Fiducia. How are you doing, Mr. Fiducia? I'm doing great, Will. This is, uh, this is a wonderful, um, wonderful part of my day. Uh, we're recording on Ash Wednesday, and I've been looking forward to this the, the whole day. Uh, so thank you for having me on. Well, thank you for coming on. I've been looking forward to this since you agreed to it, so I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. Well, before we jump in, uh, did you want to tell us a little about yourself? Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, I just begin by by saying I, I I live down in Asheville, Tennessee, just on the on the south side of town. Um, kind of some of the big news would be I, I'd mentioned as we were talking beforehand, brand new parish down here uh, in the Nashville area. Nolansville is the place where I live. Mother Teresa is a brand new parish. And we had our first Ash Wednesday service today, and and it was packed. Um, there's a real momentum happening in this uh, in this place, and uh, you know I, I can talk more about this a little bit later on. But I had been in Portland, Oregon, for several years, for nine years, and when my wife and I were discerning where we wanted to go, we just felt like God was doing something special in Nashville that we wanted to be a part of. And so now we've been here for seven years and I can say that that sense that we had has come true. And part of it is this, uh, is this new parish. So that's, uh, that's kind of the big thing I would, I would share because it's, uh, it's just on my mind right now, you know? Yeah. And that's wonderful that you just had your first Ash Wednesday service. I love that. Yeah. It's so cool. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And so let me think, what else can I, can I share about myself? So, you know, we live down here in, in Tennessee. Um, I mentioned my, my wife. I, I have, um, I, she and I have been married for several years, uh, long enough to have four children who are all in college. Um, my oldest daughter was, uh, she was a, an intern at One Bread, One Cup this past summer, uh, Margaret Fiducia. Uh, so some of the listeners may may know her, be familiar with her. She's uh, here at Belmont University here in Nashville. I also have a son who's at University of Missouri in Columbia, Missouri. Then getting closer to where you guys are, I have a, a daughter who is at Bellarmine University in Louisville. And then the coup de grace, I have a son who is uh, a freshman at Purdue as a as a civil engineering major. So hopefully not too many Hoosiers are going to be mad that I don't have anybody at IU, but at least I do have someone who's in Indiana. Um, so that, that, that leaves, at least in terms of family, that that's what I have going on, Will. Well, that's great. And unfortunately, I wish I had been able to go to One Bread, One Cup this summer, uh, but I hadn't been able to go. So I haven't actually had a chance to meet your daughter as an intern yet. Well, she's great. I promise. If you met her, you would remember her. <laughs> she's, she was very memorable. <laughs> very memorable. Yeah, I bet. Well, uh, I'm going to grab my book here if you want to begin in prayer before we jump into the question. Yeah, let's do that. That's a, that's a great idea. All righty. So I just got the St. Mindred and the Come Holy Spirit for the opening prayer. Mm. So, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and enkindle within them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, you have instructed the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant that through the same Holy Spirit, we may always be truly wise and rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, before we jump in with the first question, I just want to say again, 
that I'm very honored that you agreed to come on here. So thank you. You're welcome. Happy to. All right. Well, so uh, you work mainly in the evangelization field. Like that's what you're recognized for. You're an evangelist. So you work particularly through liturgical spirituality, I believe. So yeah. What, what demographics do you get the most often? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so my, my ministry um, is equipping the saints. Um, I'm vice president for equipping the saints. And just for short, we say EQ saints. And our, our area really is, uh, we have three different areas. Um, the first and kind of the flagship area would be events. So many people may know National Catholic Youth Conference. In conjunction with the National Federation for Catholic Youth Ministry, um, we, we do NCYC, we produce NCYC, National Catholic Youth Conference. Um, also, we have a subscription service for, for youth ministers uh, doing youth ministry programming in their parish, and then also a youth ministry certificate program. So my, my primary demographic, it, I, I aim at, at young people, you know, like that's, that's where my ministry goes. But the older I get, the more I get invited not to speak directly to teens, but to speak to those who speak to teens. So I think that shows how, how old I'm getting. Um, but having that as my primary um, ministerial audience, um, it has also had me, uh, given me the chance to expand out. So, for example, I just arrived yesterday morning from Richmond, Virginia. I, I've been there doing a, doing a parish mission. Um, I also ha have been uh, in San Diego very recently doing, and this is what I love, Well, is getting parents and teens to talk together. So I had done a couple of nights of confirmation programming, but specifically for parents and for those being confirmed. And just to see parents and young people talking with one another. Um, so, I mean, I could, I could talk about some of the statistics. I don't want to just keep blasting through everything that I'd like to say right now, but hopefully it will come up uh, a little bit later on in the conversation. But conversation between parent and child about the faith is one of the most vital things that we can do. And I, I will, I'll talk about that at a little bit later point in the conversation, Will. But to answer your simple question, what's my primary target audience? It is young people, um, those middle school years to high school years. Well, that's great. That's a great target audience because like the young people are going to be the future of the church. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I mentioned a, a minute ago, you work mainly through liturgical spirituality. Uh, mm -hmm. So could you maybe tell us what that is and why it's important? Yeah, I guess this would be, um, and I, I don't want to get too um, historical or theological or, or start giving a lecture or anything like that. But, uh, you know, when we think back to, to the person of Jesus, what, what did he leave when he ascended into heaven? He didn't, he didn't leave a book. You know, he didn't leave the Bible for us. That, that emerged later on. Um, what did he leave us? He left us the Last Supper. He left us a way to encounter him again. So I, I, a friend of mine says this, that God doesn't have any grandchildren. God only has children, firstborn children. Well, if, if Christ is not with us anymore in, as I am with you, you know, it's like here I am walking and talking on earth. So Jesus walked and talked on earth and whoever encountered him experienced God's love, God's offer of salvation and, and the healing power of God. So if we're, if we're now without him in, in a body like mine or yours, then how are we going to experience Jesus? How are we going to experience God's offer of salvation, feel his salvation? It, it has to be, because we're bodies, it has to be through a bodily encounter. So that's what Jesus left us. He left us the sacraments and he left us the Last Supper. 
So the the spirituality or or the my interest in in uh, in the liturgy it comes from that 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 is the place that we get to encounter Christ Jesus um, in his uh, in his fullness until he until he comes again. Well, thank you. That I've never really thought of it that way before. I I have to admit I love the way you open that with he didn't leave a book, didn't leave the Bible. I love yeah. that, and it's so true. Yeah, that that's right. And so from from that experience, um, you, you could say this, and I am I'm getting really theological on you, but you could say that that all theology and all spirituality is a liturgical spirituality, because. We have this encounter with with Christ. We have this encounter with the Lord, and so it it, it prompts questions. It makes us think about well, what, what did I just experience? And we then try to get language um, to explain it, which is exactly what what theology is. Um, Saint Augustine, or excuse me, Saint Anselm had said that theology is faith seeking understanding. Well, I've had these encounters with Christ, even when I was in high school, I, you know, like at retreats or something like that, when I was with the community, the Catholic community, and enjoying the liturgy, and feeling like I was making contact with God, well, it, it made me question things, and it brought me down a spiritual journey. And, and so for that reason, um, I would say all theology, all spirituality is a liturgical spirituality because it flows out from that encounter with the Lord. Yeah, and I, I agree with you because I've had kind of a similar experience at One Bread, One Cup, so I understand that. Yeah, and I, it's um, that has been so so powerful for me to see that you know to see young people like yourself who have had experiences and i, I know i'm being interviewed but i want to interview for a second as well will like what, what was there a moment at one bread one cup that that really impacted you and and like you go back to and like you you remember what it was like to have have something that you hadn't experienced before uh yeah i'd have to like you hear about uh, young people, like teenagers, like losing interest in their faith and leaving the church, right? And that kind of, after a while, mm -hmm. just becomes a stereotype in your mind. And then when I was up at One Bread, One Cup, and every evening or in the morning, and we'd all meet for mass, and it would just be all the interns and all the young people. And then it's like, this, this isn't something I get to see very often, all of like yeah. the young people in this area worshiping together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to take off on this, on this moment. Um, this there's, if you look at, at, at what the church says about, about the liturgy, it says that, that Christ is present in four different ways. One is, is in the word. Like when we read the scriptures, the second way is with the priest himself because he acts he acts as, as as christ acts in the liturgy and then of course in the eucharist but the fourth way what what the church says it's when the people sing and pray and when you get a church that is filled with people who are earnestly praying, really seeking God, really singing. Well, there's a there's a way that Christ is present that that the liturgy demands. It demands that that we bring our own fervor to the faith. And when we bring that added element, now the other ways that Christ is present, it just it opens itself up to us and and their life changing experiences. They are. And like you said, especially when like all the people are gathered and I find especially during the songs, like during the praise music. And I don't remember mm -hmm. who said it, but it, there's a quote, he who sings prays twice. That's right. That was St. Augustine. Good memory. Okay. Thank you. I probably got that from my mother. She's a big St. Augustine fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and so to those who are, who are listening, that's why it is so important that when you come to the liturgy, 
you, you pray as hard as you ever prayed and you sing as hard as you ever sing. And to do that sincerely, because as, as I mentioned, it, it brings a new element to the presence of Christ that opens up the other ways that he's there. So it, it opens our eyes to the way that, that he's there in the priest. It opens our eyes to the scriptures being proclaimed. And it opens us to the grace that's coming to us through the, the sacred body and precious blood. Yeah, it really does. I'm, I'm going to jump back to the next question, if you don't mind. Uh, yeah, I, please. I, I don't mind getting off track. I'm not like saying that. I love these side conversations. Well, it's easy for me to get off track, so you're going to have to pull me back, Will. Oh, yeah, me too. I love these side conversations because <laughs> you learn so much. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so... Uh, you launched, you either launched or you helped launch the uh, youth liturgical leadership program up at St. Meinrad. Mm -hmm. So it's now known as One Bread, One Cup. We've been mentioning that throughout the episode. Uh, for those listening, it's a uh, Catholic summer youth camp. And they get uh, participants from all over the country. When The last time I was there, we had people from like San Francisco and Texas and like the farthest corners. So that was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What was behind your vision for introducing this? Well, it was, I, I know people can say this a lot, but it really sincerely was, was God's grace. You know, what, what they say is that, that um, co coincidences um, are when God is working anonymously. I'm going to give you just the bullet points of the, of the history because it, it is so meaningful to me. Um, I had written a letter to then President Rector of St. Minard School of Theology, Father Mark O'Keefe. I, I was a parish youth minister in Virginia. I was, I'm an alumnus of St. Minard. And I wrote him just what I thought could happen there at St. Minard because there was this little youth conference that, that was going on. And it, it, originally it was a way to attract people to the, to the college because a brilliant idea, like let's call leaders to the Hill. St. Minor's called the Hill. Let's call leaders to the Hill, give them a week of, of leadership experience. And then um, hopefully they would be interested in finding out more about going to school here. Well, it was a successful, leadership conference, but then um, the board of overseers uh, and, and board of trustees had made the decision to close the college down and just to keep the graduate school of theology. So then what was the vision for this youth conference? Father Mark invited me to come in and kind of take leadership of that. Um, right after I had been there, and, and, and just to say this, I, 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 I knew that the leadership conference, as good as it was, it needed a little bit more identity to it because there are many leadership conferences, but there wasn't a liturgical leadership conference. And I felt like that's a unique gift that St. Myanmar brings to the church and that it could provide that. It could engage young people in the liturgy in a way that no other place could. So I, I had that idea. Um, so that was the, the original thought was let's, let's take this, this successful and good leadership conference, and then let's turn it in to be focused on the liturgy. Well, it wasn't long after that, that after I got there, that Lilly Endowment, uh, there, uh, in Indianapolis had announced they wanted schools of theology to form programs that would engage young people in theological thought and in questions of vocation. So that was after I got there. And, and so the, the staff and I talked and, and said, the way that we could do that is through the liturgy. We applied for the grant and we got a very sizable grant to begin One Bread, One Cup, or to begin a program that would become One Bread, One Cup. And so that, that's the origins. But I, I, I know the, the power of prayer, and I guess I've always had, had these two things as, um, as primary in my ministry and in my thought. You had mentioned 
I, I identify as an evangel as an evangelist, and I do. But also worship. There is a transformative. There's the transformative power of worship. And and this was the 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 scripture that that kind of launched me with this. I had experienced adoration for the first time when I was actually in college. I never even heard of it before and experienced it. And it was profound for me in college to experience Eucharistic adoration. And I read this verse and it made sense to me. This is 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. All of us gazing with unveiled faces on the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That, that changed how, that was a landmark scripture for me to read because I, I knew that worship had, had power to it to transform us. And then to read that, you know, gazing upon the Lord with unveiled faces that were being changed from one state to another, you know, one mode of being to another mode of being. Just to put it very bluntly, we get holier when we pray and when we worship. So I had believed that in the presence of God, that it has the power to change hearts, to evangelize, and then for those who are evangelized, to transform them. So worship has always been... Um, uh, something that I've, I've, I've given a lot of attention to and felt um, a great deal of, um, of passion for. So that, that's why One Bread, One Cup had at its origins um, liturgical worship. At least that was my interest in it. And then there's no better place in the world to do a conference for young people on the liturgy than St. Meinrad. It is their charism as well. Um, so that that's kind of a long answer to your to your question, but um, but I, I am very pleased to have been a part of it and love the love the program. Yeah, I do too. Like some of my most memorable experiences in my faith have been up there during One Bread One Cup, and it it seems to have grown so much from what you were just talking mm -hmm. about. That, that's that's exactly right, and and every. Um, director after me has, because I just had this little idea, did what I could. Um, and and I think I, I'm, I'm very pleased to see that it has continued on without me and it has been improved upon. Every director has brought their own charism to it and has made One Bread, One Cup better after my, my time there. Matt Miller, who's now the uh, the diocesan director of liturgy in Evansville. He succeeded me. He made it better. And then after that, there was, um, uh, we had Father Anthony Vinson. He took it. He made it better. There was um, Colette Kennett. She took it. She made it better. Father Godfrey Mullen took it, made it better. And now Tammy Beck, who's the current director, took it and made it better. Um and so we're we're all in this in, in this community together, but I, I love how that little idea of having young people to be immersed in the liturgy, how it's how it's it has it, blessed the church. And and I, I love this that there are there are monks now in the monastery whose very first trip to St. Meinrad was for a one bread, one cup conference. There are priests who never thought about um, the priesthood before until coming there. They're people who are now lay ministers. What Lily had envisioned and hoped for, it's come about. And uh, it, it's just been a joy to see. Yeah, and I can, I'm not like a leader or anything, but I can see that from a different perspective. And that's great. And like you said, it seems to have grown and improved a lot with all the directors and mm -hmm. you also mentioned something that was very interesting to me. You said one of the directors was named Father Godfrey Mullen. I actually yes. interviewed him on Benedictine Spirituality a couple episodes back. Oh, did you really? Oh, that's terrific. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just loved that. Yeah, so he was. He was director for a while. I didn't know that. Somehow that never got brought up. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can ask him about it, ask him about it next time. I will. Um, 
after uh, launching what became One Bread, One Cup, you had a couple of other positions in your evangelization. Uh, one of those mm-hmm. was general manager for the OCP. Yeah. So, uh, well, and more, more rightly, um, Spirit and Song, which is part of OCP. It was, um, it's the contemporary music division of, um, of Oregon Catholic Press. And like we had partnered with them when we had begun uh, One Bread, One Cup. Um, Cause I, I had flown out there to talk to their leadership and asked them if they could supply uh, the the musicians who would be training the, the, the musician track at, at, at the conferences. And, and that's what got me um, out there talking to, to people. And when they were looking for somebody to take on leadership of, of the uh, Spirit and Song Initiative, they had asked if I would come on board. And, um, and so I, I did. And uh, I had mentioned about, you know, going out to, to Oregon and living there as we, as we did. And uh, again, it was that, that sense of, of, of passion about affecting worship. You know, wanting um, wanting to affect the the songs that were that were coming out, and uh, to have because songs have the power to to manifest the, the the presence of God. You know, as we were saying um, earlier, yes, the Eucharist is the Eucharist, and it is going to be there if we believe it or not. That is going to be the real presence of Christ. It, it can be an atheist can read the scriptures aloud and still the real word of God is being is going forward. And then the priest, because he is ordained, he acts in persona Christi. But it is when we sing and pray that is, as I'd said earlier, that's when um, a, a, a new um, how do I how do I say um, a new manner of Christ's presence is manifest, you know, is made real. So to have songs that that, that stir people's hearts in order to sing authentically and purely and and with great sincerity that I was excited to to begin to begin that um, but I had I knew some things about book publishing and and this is what I say about music publishing it is less complicated to publish a 500 page book than it is to publish a three minute song much more complicated to, to publish a song um, so the first, just to, uh, if I if I may, I'm going to name drop a little bit with this, just to tell you how how over my skis I was. Um, so at that time when I was hired, um, people like Steve Angrisano, Tom Booth, Sarah Hart, Jesse Manabusen, Josh Blakeslee, and then Matt Marr were also on on the roster with Spirit and Song. I came on board just after. Matt Marr's song, Your Grace is Enough, got recorded by Chris Tomlin. And there was a lot of interest in Nashville for Matt. So um, we had, we at, at OCP, at Oregon Catholic Press, had, had some conversations with EMI, um, the, the large, the large um, publisher and record label. And... And so we wanted to to have a, a co-publishing agreement with um, with Matt or with the EMI. They wanted that for Matt's music. So I I'm a Minerid person, and uh, Father Cyprian Davis, who used to be at, at Saint Minerid, would say, "We're just humble Benedictines," you know, and that's how I felt, just like a humble little Benedictine um, going there. And then this was like the big time, you know. So I'm, I'm I go into this office, um, this office building, into the elevator, and there are posters of all of these records that I had listened to as a youth minister. And I go into the second floor, and there were all these gold records everywhere. Um, and I just felt so out of my league. And they bring us into this dimly, uh, a dimly lit room, um, and they lay out th- these contracts in front of us. 
and we need to go through and look at the at the language now i i needed glasses at the time i didn't know that i did and so trying to read this fine print with no glasses and low light and you're talking to um people who had who had been contemporary music artists christian music artists but they had moved on into executive levels at uh, publishing and and uh, record labels and so here i am just this humbled kid from uh, from Mississippi, minor grad, um, tried to negotiate a co-publishing agreement for Matt Mars Music. Um, it was it was very intimidating, um, but it it made me grow up really fast in terms of uh, you know just all of that contracts and and all. And it ended up just being a a beautiful um, beautiful time in my life. Um, everything worked worked very well. Um, with that uh, with that agreement um, Matt was able to, to reach a new audience the evangelical church and through him I, I do just want to give a good shout out to Matt Moore um, he has done so much for ecumenical relations the evangelical church and the Catholic Church there's been real dialogue um, thanks to Matt and it might not have happened if um, it wasn't for that contract that got presented to us that I had the the honor of being able to negotiate. So, uh, and that's just one small part of what, what happened when I was at, at Oregon Catholic Press. Um, but I, I'll, I'll, that suffice it to say, I'm just very grateful for them for giving me that opportunity and for, for the time in Oregon. Um, it's where my kids grew up. We love Oregon and very happy that we spent time there. So, so there's my time at OCP, Will. That's great. And uh, I didn't know that anything about any of that. So I loved hearing that. Again, I love these stories. And I imagine that after that first contract, everything got a little bit easier. <laughs> it got a little bit easier. It did. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that truly was baptism by fire, sink or swim. And uh, I at least treaded water <laughs> through that. And, and and I don't want to make it, I don't want to overstate it. I mean, there were other people. There was my, my dear friend, Tom Tomazak as well was, um, was there. So it was he and I together going through that, but, uh, but it was my first big project to, uh, to go through. Yeah. And that sounds like a pretty big one. And yeah, it was. Yeah. And I love that you brought up Matt Marr, like for all that, because Matt Marr's music is great. It's, we listen to that at my house all the time. So I love it. Oh, do you? Yeah. Oh. His songs are great. Oh, indeed. Great songwriter, great artist. You know, there, there's um, some people are, are great musicians, phenomenal musicians. Um, some people are great songwriters, fantastic songwriters. And then some people are great recording artists. But Matt Marr's all three. I've, uh, yeah, the, the, what, what he, 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 what I say about Matt is, is that he lives in the world musically. I mean, he just hears music everywhere. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, just tell you this one quick story. He, he does, well, we were, we had, um, if you've ever done this, gotten like a, a water goblet and like do your finger around the edge and then it'll create this, this tone. We were testing Matt one day at dinner just to see like, okay, here's the tone. What is that? And he went, well, that's a, that's a G sharp, but it's not quite. And put another drop in, did it like, now that's a G sharp, <laughs> you know? So he just, he can hear things so perfectly and, and how he is able to, to mash songs up. Like he was just noodling around and he was singing um, Bob Dylan's times. They are a change in, and then went right into um, went right into um, Dan Schuette's City of God. Like I would have never heard those two songs as being similar in chord structure and all, but uh, but he heard it and put it together and it was phenomenal. Yeah, I bet. I mean, not many people can do that. He's kind of like the uh, non-deaf Beethoven. <laughs> that's exactly it. right that is exactly right oh gosh that's terrific that's impressive i didn't know that i mean of course i yeah, didn't know that yeah. <laughs> so i actually have one more small thing about ocp before we move on yeah uh because you 
answered my one about whether you enjoyed it or not with that stories because you mentioned yeah. it, but how did you end up in that position like did you get recommended or did you apply or you know, I, I didn't apply. It was it was by invitation, and 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 it really did come through one bread one cup. You know, after after we had uh, that partnership for them to supply the musicians for one bread one cup, I got to know the leadership out there, and um, they just liked. I guess they liked my work. They liked what I did, so they they asked me to come on um, to be responsible for Spirit and Songs um, artist development. Um, the the product development, you know, like the creation of new of new products and um, artist outreach. It was it was just a, a beautiful a beautiful time. It was a perfect job for that for that time in my life. Um, but how I, how I got there, it was by by invitation from the senior leadership there, um, John Lim, who was publisher at the time, and I mentioned Tom Tomazak. Um, it was the two of them who had asked me to come on board. It's great. And I mean, like, none of that might have ever happened if you hadn't been invited. So it's kind of like providential. That's exactly right. But and that would have never happened if I hadn't have been at One Bread, One Cup. And One Bread, One Cup wouldn't have happened if I hadn't have just sat down and wrote a letter to Father Mark one day. All, all of these things like that one moment, my whole life changed from just writing a letter and that, I, I think that that's one I'm going to go off on another thing real quickly. That, that's why it's so important to pray is when we pray, I, sometimes I feel like God takes us by the hand and we review our past and he wants to show us how he's been faithful to us in the past. And these little moments that we don't even give a second thought, it can change the destiny of our lives and they end up being God's little gifts. Yeah, they, they really do. And I hadn't really thought about that. That's a really good point. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go ahead on the next question that I have. Sure. So uh, you mentioned earlier you graduated from St. Mindred. You're a St. Mindred alumni. Uh, mm -hmm. So now you teach theology at diocesan conferences, like you mentioned, and you also teach to diaconate conferences. Mm -hmm. So what's your, what's your favorite part of that? Do you think? Well, there, there are different things that I, that I like about, about all of it. What, you know, you'd mentioned specifically about like with the, with the deacons. Um, so over in the diocese of Knoxville, I, I'm part of their, their formation program for their deacons. And I know this is a, a very old thing to say and a very cliched thing to say, but you really don't learn something until you have to teach it. And that, that's, I, I have become a, a better person of prayer, a, a, a better thinker, um, more, um, more conversant with the church's teaching and theology. And I had my master's in theology. But that being required to teach something, it, it brings you to a different level with it. And, and that has been the, the favorite thing that I, that I do, um, and at least in terms of that. Now, speaking and, you know, like doing parish missions, one of the things that, and I mentioned this earlier, I love to have parents, a night where I can get parents and youth together and you know, I, I, I freely give, I freely steal. So a lot of the techniques that I have are, are come from Steve Mangrasano, but we, um, we try to get people laughing. And, you know, I was thinking about this. It's so rare for parents and teens to, to laugh together. So we do goofy games and um, just to loosen things up. And then gradually I begin to get them to talk with one another until we land on these questions why was it important so if i this is i asked the teen to ask the parent why was it important to grandma and grandpa for you to be confirmed then the second question why is it important to you for me to be confirmed and then the third question what is your hope for the future of my faith 
I, I had recently done that um, earlier, earlier this winter. Um, I was in San Diego, California. On this one day, I had finished up a retreat for youth ministers in Bozeman, Montana, and it was three degrees above zero when I left Bozeman and then landed in San Diego. And I did this outdoor confirmation event uh, all in one day. Um, I'm sorry, I'm going off on a tangent, but here's the point. I began I, at the end of this of this outdoor confirmation event with parents and teens. I see this happening. I see a mother holding her daughter's hands and they're both leaning in to one another. And you can see her talking about her hope for her, her daughter's faith. And she may have never expressed that. And so then I'm looking around and there were like 200, 300 people who were there. And to see that happening all over the place, to see um, parents who may never have articulated the faith before um, or, or their own hope for their child's faith, to see them doing that. And, and this, I was going to um, come back to, to this point. There, when, when we look at studies, and this has really given me the impetus for my ministry now, three things are, are keeping young people Catholic. The first is daily personal prayer. The most important thing that we can encourage with our young people is for them to pray daily. The second thing is at a parish, if every young person has five adults who are surrounding that young person and calling them forth to discipleship, if they have that kind of relationship, real friendships, you know, the kind, I'm sure you have it in your life, some adults who can kind of tease you a little bit, you know, like, I love that. I love that when I was a kid, having adults who knew me well enough, they felt comfortable teasing me. Yeah. Um, but then it's, it's families who have conversations about the faith and you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to like, teach or have like talk about church teaching it's just why is it important parents who are able to say why the faith is important to their children if you have a child who prays daily and there are five adults surrounding them and they come from a family who talk about the faith then you have just increased the chances that that young person is going to remain a lifelong disciple so that has become the favorite thing that I do. I, yes, I teach deacons. I do retreats for youth ministers. Um, I, 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 um, I'm going to be speaking um, very shortly in a, at a diocesan youth conference. Parish missions, all of that. But the, my favorite thing to do is to have nights where adults and teens are talking together, enjoying one another, and the, the parents are bringing words to why their faith is important to them. It's my favorite thing right now, Will. Yeah, and I completely understand it too. So, I mean, I think I'm lucky in the sense that I can talk to my parents. Like I talk to my parents constantly. Sometimes I seem to talk too much, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I can see where you're coming from on that. So, yeah, no, it is. Um, and having a listening ear, you know, but the reason why I, I would dare say the reason why you're why you talk to them is because you feel comfortable. It's a topic that, that you're at ease talking about with them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I kind of have another evangelization question for you. Yes, please. Um, so you're recognized as an expert in the new evangelization. Uh, you wrote the document on evangelization for the National Federation for Catholic Youth Ministry. Yeah. So how did you feel when you were recognized as an expert in the new evangelization? <laughs> well, that's a very, that's a very gracious question. Um, I, I think my feeling is, is that it is a title that I do not deserve. Um, yeah, I I, I I I give I give evangelization um, a lot a lot of thought, and I, I think at the at the heart of it, it is the word itself, uh, evangelization. You know that that it truly means to good newsify, 
you know, to good newsify. And I, you know, I grew, I grew up in Mississippi and very um, evangelical and evangelistic culture down there. And one day before school started, um, we weren't allowed to go into the building until the bell rang. So we were just all hanging out outside. It was a Monday morning. And, and this one guy got up on, at the top of the steps while we were all down below. And he just shouted. He just said, stop at the top of his lungs. And so everybody got quiet and looked up at him. And he started preaching at us. Um, and he, he would point to one group over here and he'd say, I, I hear what you're talking about. And you're talking about what you did on Saturday night. And I hear what you did over here. And you're talking about what you did on Friday night and all of it is immoral. And then he started reading the Bible to us. And I thought that's what evangelization was. And I didn't want anything to do with it. And I, I have come to be, I, I don't, that was a very con condemning um, style of, of preaching and evangelization. But Jesus said that he came um, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. So my overall approach with evangelization is this, is that it is good news. I want to know, I want to know people individually and to know where, where's your pain? Where's your pain point? Because the good news should be able to speak to that. Now, I give a lot of thought to, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus, um, it, it, his, his ministry was threefold. He taught, he preached, but then he also healed. And I think particularly at this moment in time in the church, we need, we need more healers. People who are able to to walk with other people, engage them where they're hurting, um, in in the wake of the pandemic, um, in in the rise of depression, anxiety, all of all of that. Because continuing on, when Jesus, when Matthew says that Jesus taught, preached, and healed, it said that he looked with pity on those who were gathered because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to the apostles, pray for the harvest master to send, to send workers into the field because the harvest is plentiful and workers are few. We need more workers. We need more people who are able to say to, to others, to engage them because people are walking through life just aimlessly. You know, as, uh, as Thoreau said, that people live lives of quiet desperation. And St. Augustine said that, that you've made us for yourself, O Lord, but our hearts are restless until they rest in you. That's where I want to engage people. I want to befriend people. And I want other Catholics to befriend people, to see how are you desperate? How are you restless? And then at that moment, to be able to say, here's my story. This is how I have found satisfaction in God, the good news that God has given to me. And what he has given to me I would like to share with you. It's a very intimate sort of a thing. It's nowhere near like that guy shouting at us from the top of my school steps. It's really not. And I mean, I can see what you mean about how like you wouldn't, at first you said you didn't want anything to do with that. And I can kind of see that because that it just doesn't even sound like something that you would want to like have other people experience. Like if you didn't enjoy it, why would you want other people to try to like a lot of people yeah. evangelization, they try to make evangelization fun and engaging. So. That that's right. It's, it's to, it's to meet, it's to meet a need. You know, why do we, why do we choose everything? Anything is because we, we think we, we need it, you know? And, and what I, what I found, I was I was just talking to to somebody who they were Mormon and then they became atheist or I should say it like this they they were Mormon then they became agnostic then they became atheist and now they're they're beginning to have a spiritual awakening again and and what I in in the conversation that I had with with him I said my one desire 
if, if I could just mandate anything and make people do anything, it's just to come to this realization that they're spiritual beings. No, that they're that every person is spiritual. Like I, I, I play this game. I, I love to play this game. Um, I get a, I get slides. I'll get two teens to come forward, and uh, round one, round two. So one teen goes out of the room while I have um, the other, the other person there for round one. And what I tell them: here's my game. As I say, you have 35 seconds. I'm going to show you 10 pictures. You have one task. As each picture comes up. Tell me if it's spiritual or not spiritual. That seems pretty easy. Go. So I'll show a picture of um, of like a decorative pillow, and they'll go not spiritual. Well, that's obvious. So correct. A picture of Pope Francis. They'll say spiritual. Correct. So now they got two right. But then I'll show a picture of like Olivia Rodrigo, of Car um, Cardi B of Machine Gun Kelly, somebody like that. And and invariably, they will go, not spiritual, incorrect. Every single person is spiritual. Our spirituality may be wrapped up in something different, though. Like what we want is to see, because uh, spirituality is how do you deal with that feeling of, of living life in a desperate manner? That feeling that St. Augustine talked about, about being restless, that whatever you're doing to satisfy that, that's your spirituality. My hope is, is that people can recognize that, that they're spiritual. And that's what I mean by spiritual. And then to say, the good news of Jesus is, is that it can satisfy you in a way that nothing else can. No, so that that's that's my overall approach to evangelization. That's a good approach to have. And I mean, I can guarantee one thing: if I ever come to one of your conferences in person and you play that game, I know what answers to give. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> All right. So note to self, don't, don't call Will uh, Mayberry up when I'm playing spiritual or not spiritual. All right. I got to write that down in my journal. <laughs> but I, I love that approach. So I just wanted to say that that's, I think that's great. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Cause I think, uh, and I hope you find that encouraging as you talk to, as you talk to friends, you know, as I, I, I always talk about um, this time where I was, I was on a soccer trip and I had a bad game. I'll, I'll be very honest. I had a terrible game. I didn't feel like talking to anybody. So I was a senior at this time and, and all the seniors were in the back and they were just having a rowdy time. And all the underclassmen were up front. I just didn't feel like hanging out with the seniors. So I got kind of in the middle, empty seat next to me on the athletic bus. Then a sophomore walked back and he asked if he could sit down. And I said, well, sure, you can sit down. His name was Paul. And he really let his guard down with me. Again, I was in high school. And, and he had said um, how he... You know, he looked at his older brother who is at Alabama, University of Alabama, and that he had been the star quarterback in the high in high school. And then his sister was in the eighth grade and smartest kid in her middle school. And probably when she got to the high school was going to be valedictorian. And then there was Paul. His parents were split up. His dad lived in Birmingham. Alabama, his mom, you know, lived in our town. He lived with her average student, middle child. And he just felt like he was invisible. And he began to share that with me. And, and he, he said to me, he said, Robert, you just always seem so happy. Why is that? And it was the first time I remember really sharing my faith with, with somebody. And, and that, that we're, we're first, I believe it's either first or second Peter. Um, he says, always be ready to give an account for your hope. And that really is what Catholic evangelization is, you know? So, Will, I, I really hope that you, you take that and that um, you're ready with your own story. And wh why, why do you have hope? And, 
in a world that is like is like today where things are rough you know um, whether we're in ukraine or here in the u.s or even in our high schools things are really really tough but why are you hopeful you know to be ready with that story is something that every catholic can can be prepared with yeah and i mean don't it doesn't matter who they are every story is going to be different so Right. That's exactly right. And that's the beauty of it, you know, the, the uniqueness of how God comes to us as individuals and shapes our own, our, our life with him. It's a great adventure. You know, it is. It's a fantastic adventure to be on with God. Um, this path that he walks with us in making our own life and our own story. Yeah, it really is. And it kind of, that kind of points to a, Every time I want to quote something, I forget who said it. Um, but uh, Christ before me, Christ above me. So, yes, it, it's, I can't remember I, who said it. I, is that is it St. Patrick? Is it the prayer of St. Patrick? Yeah, that might be. I it, think it is. I think it's the, the um, I think it comes from St. Patrick's breastplate, if I remember right. Yeah, I think I think you're right, but uh, that that's what it reminded me of. Mm, He's wow. all around everybody, even as individuals. That's exactly, you know, and that that really what I think our job, those of us who aspire to ministry, we are not the presence of God in in people's lives. He's already there. So, what is our job as ministers? we have one task to help people to recognize where God is moving in their life and to help them to say, yes, I should, I guess that's two things, but to help them to recognize where God is active in their life and then to help them just to say yes to what God's already doing. It's a very simple way of looking at, at, at ministry and evangelization. Yeah. And it's kind of the core of it. It is. Well, I have one last question. I'm out of questions after right. this one, but I have one more. Do you have any words or advice for uh, youth or young adults who are on the fence about their faith? Yeah, I, I do. It's a great question. Terrific question, Will. Um, there, I, I was talking, um, I was talking to a friend of mine just about our, about our kids and every every child goes through things that are kind of rough and and what what my friend mike had said to me is he just said it so simply he said stay in the conversation stay in the conversation this is what i get afraid of when youth and young adults begin begin to have doubts is that they go everywhere except to the church to explore their doubts you know so they'll go on youtube and they'll find you know some of the big atheists like sam harris or christopher hitchens or richard dawkins you know some somebody like that or or some of these other niche um atheists um but once they go down that path they don't ask the church anymore so i i, I would have two things to say is one keep the church in the conversation keep the church in the conversation but then also to those who who are ministering to youth and to young adults just don't be afraid of the questions uh it it doesn't i i i i love this little phrase again i keep talking about steve angersano but he says this people don't care what you know um until you until they know you care they don't care what you know until they know you care and that's the biggest thing that that we can do is don't don't go throwing down the catechism if if, if they have a catechetical question then yes do that but the big thing is don't don't try to convince them through the catechism it's love them listen to them be on the be on the road with them 
And then when the opportunity arises, speak, speak to that, speak the church's beautiful tradition, which I love, but allow, allow it to be a, a place where questions are asked. And I, I, well, I'm sorry, man, I'm filled with, with stories, but I, I, let me give this one, this one story real quickly. So I was, I was in Brazil for World Youth Day back in 2013. Pope Francis, I think I was right, Pope Francis had just been elected. And there's this great enthusiasm in Latin America about Pope Francis. And his first international trip after being elected was to World Youth Day in Brazil. I was going back to the airport to go meet someone who was coming in and I was in a cab. And so the cab driver, seeing all these Catholics from all over the world here for World Youth Day, he asked me, he said, are you here for World Youth Day? And I, I said, yes. And he said, are you Catholic? And I said, yes. And I knew that Brazil was a pretty large, largely Catholic country. And so I said, um, are, are you Catholic? And he said, he said, no, I'm, I'm not. He said, I was, but I'm not now. And, and so I said, well, why not? What, what happened? And he, he said to me, I have too many questions that the church can't answer. And, and I said, what if we looked at the church as not the place with all the answers, but the place to ask all the questions? You know, to be, to be comfortable enough to come to the church to ask. So just to say it again, to wrap it up, um, my one word of advice to young people who are having, having doubts or questions or struggling in their faith is keep the church in the conversation. Find somebody that you can really trust, that you know loves you and isn't going to judge you, and regularly talk to them as you're going out and looking at YouTube and some of these other places. Keep the church in the conversation. And those of us in ministry, be ready. Be ready for those kinds of conversations. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's another big problem, though, like you said, is a lot of people just are afraid to talk. So that's some really good advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I am officially out of questions. <laughs> so, you, you have great questions. Uh, as you can tell, like it doesn't take much to get me going down a, uh, a path and you hit the right ones to get me going. So I, I don't know if your listeners are going to be happy with that, but <laughs> someone who likes to talk, I'm very happy with that. You did a great job, Will. <laughs> Thank you. You too. And that that's not a problem because a lot of what happens when we record is that we're listening to people's stories so i love yeah. that uh something before we close i always try to ask people i interview is their favorite bible verse and i've got it right here um this is philippians chapter three and it's uh, i'm going to start at verse at verse seven it's it's a very radical verse and it says this, but whatever gains I had, this is Paul writing, whatever gains I had, these I have come to consider a loss because of Christ. More than that, I even consider everything as a loss because of the supreme good of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So I'll, I'll stop there. It's seven and eight, uh, Philippians three, seven and eight, that very simply, there is nothing better than knowing Christ. And when you know him, it changes everything. And that may be something that we've heard and heard and heard. And, and, and when you hear something a lot, the power gets taken out of it. But that, that would be my, my hope is that, that all listeners would, would want to understand what frame of mind was Paul in when he wrote that that he lost everything for the sake of Christ and he thought nothing was better than knowing him. So that would be, that'd be the scripture that I would offer. Philippians chapter three, verses seven and eight. Thank you for sharing. Very much appreciate it. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I wrote that down so I can put it in the show notes. Uh, that, that's a great question though about Paul's mindset when he wrote that. So yeah. Well, uh, 
I want to thank you again for agreeing to come on. This was fantastic and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I did. I did too, Will. You're a great interviewer. Thank you. You were too. <laughs> yeah, and you did. Uh, you, you, like I, I, I told, uh, I told your mom, you really did your research on like my life, <laughs> and uh, you were ready with, uh, with very good questions. I feel like I've given like every story from every parish mission just in this, uh, in this hour's time. So, <laughs> you, uh, you asked, you did great. You did great in your prep work. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you for all your work you do with all the youth and all your conferences that you do. I'm sure everyone who attends them appreciates it. It's um, just disciples on the road together, you know. And this is this is what I I, I do say is to to people who are, who are very gracious like you are, that if you found any resonance with anything that I have to say, it says more about you than it does about me. Um, because there are a lot of places that I go and I just feel like it, it bounces off and maybe, maybe I'm wrong and it could be, but I have found that the people who are, are complimentary such as you are, it says that their heart is ready and they're able to sift through everything that I say that is not of God and they find what is because that's the kind of person they are. So uh, again, anything you say complimentary to me, it goes right back to you. Well, thank you. Uh, to our listeners, I'm going to put the Bible verses down in the show notes. I'll probably also put a link to One Bread, One Cup, uh, NCYC, a couple of the other conferences. I'll put some links to them down there so you guys can check them out. Uh, again, I want to thank Mr. Fiducia for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me, Will. Oh, it was fantastic. So. So I figured we would close in prayer and I'm just going to use the Hail Mary to close in prayer. So perfect. All right. In the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Jesus. Holy Mary. Mother Holy of God, Mary. Mother of God. Pray for, pray us, for us sinners. Now and, now at, the and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All righty. Well, to the listeners, Great. thank you for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And we'll see you all next time. And once more, thank you, Mr. Fiducia, for agreeing to come on. Yeah. You're welcome. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Will. All righty. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>